G'day all and welcome back to another week of Wind Against Tide podcast. If you can hear my soulful low voice, it's because I've just recovered from the plague. Nah, you're fine, buddy. You're fine. No, but I did have a little bit of a scare. Well, I wasn't actually scared. I had had some symptoms for (laughs) a few days there and had to go get tested and everything. And turns out I've got some sort of non-COVID cold. Awesome. And now I'm all good to go again. No, retest, retest. Yeah, we got Joey back in the studio. (laughs) Hey, guys. Happy New Year. Good to be here. Oh, we got Brendan Wing here as well. (laughs) Benny seems to be in some kind of paint factory. Okay. (laughs) What is he doing? I don't know. I don't know. It's a four-by-four workshop. What are you doing there, Brendan? Oh, some sort of old red car. So, So tell us about that red thing behind you. Oh, well, I'm just at the workshop of me mate's workshop, so I'm just tinkering with cars, old boy. Yeah. Can I turn around? Can you turn the camera in on these? <laughs> yeah, we got it on you, buddy. Don't worry. No, he wants to show yeah. the car. Yeah, oh, oh, shit, nearly dropped it. Is that better? Yeah, yeah there it is. What is that, Camry? <laughs> Corolla. That's my LX, LXS666. Yeah. So is that an A9X or whatever you call it? So, well, tell us all about that's it then. Like yeah. I'm just here tuning. I've just got the motor going. I've just got it running. Um, yeah. Can we start it? Yeah. Sounds pretty good. So we're looking at this oh, red shiny car. Oh, <laughs> no, that's cool. When when will it be completed? Get on the bio ready, boys. Look, ready to go. Yeah. Oh, what's going on? So, so I'm going off work. It's a bit loud, a bit louder now. Is it? Okay. We, we well, can it barely did, hear it. It didn't really come through our headphones very loud. <laughs> but we'll take your word for it that it's very impressive. No, it's just I'm just working away, guys. It's got a lot of work to go. It's hard work. So is this? That's, that's what I do now, isn't it? Well, so is this your um your new job? So you're a Tirana flipper. Well, no owner, lover, enthusiast, <laughs> and uh, owner, lover, enthusiast, and sell a few. You so, sell a few, do you? So you like well, some kind of Tirana dealer? Yeah. No. Well, the way I look at it is, we're restoring icons, classics, finding a new home for the people who love them, and of course, we want to make sure they're really nice when we, when they get them. So. I feel like some sort of seven mate style car restoration <laughs> show in the works. No, no. no. <laughs> no. Fishing, still, my passion for fishing is strong still. Yeah, let's talk yeah. about that. So you've just yeah. come back from a journey of the soul. Um, look, yeah, no. Every every year, me and Finn go away flutter fishing. It's a uh, a yearly sojourn where we just go chase flutters for Christmas holidays. So it's quite possibly the stupidest time of the year to do it because. We literally got ten thousand people at Lake Benson, and the the, the players are just over it. You know what I mean? They just hard, hard, hard catch. Yeah, um, we still have a ball. So, did you get any flathead, Benny? Yeah. So this year was probably the hardest year we've had. Um, we went seven days. I think we got about twenty flatties. That's it. So you um, basically fished for twelve days straight and caught like nine flathead. Seven days. <laughs> seven days. We caught 20 flatties, and I caught 19 of them. Finn caught one. Um, so, just pointing that out. G'day, buddy. How are you, Finby? 
but he got the big one. He got the big dog. Classic ten. Does it every time. Yeah. And and he probably casts <laughs> about a third of the amount of what you are too. That's Jeff Wilder. Jeff White he owns this establishment. This is a the four wheel drive workshop. And he was just wanted to tell you that he caught the first one. So apparently that's a thing, the first one. So Brendan, you caught some yep. fish. Was this your greatest one you got on the screen now, if you have a look? All right. Let me, let me I'll, I'll help you out here. All right. So, platter fishing, right? I've got this great screen, so go to someone. Yeah, that's better. So, platter fishing, right, is like cod fishing, marlow fishing, snapper fishing, kingfish fishing, marlow fishing. Everything that we've ever done as, as, a, as a crew or as individuals, we've always had to, they would admit and agree that we've always had to do it the hard way. We've never had fish on a string. Every, sure. species we've, every single species we've stuck our teeth into, we've had to do it the bloody hard way. In other words, long, hard yards, fishless tips, don't know anything, start at the beginning, and all that, right? Platter's no different, mate. I've been fishing for platter since I was a kid. I've been loving them since I was a kid. I caught giants when I was a kid. Um, but switching over to lures in the last four or five years um, has been an absolute challenge and a half, I tell you. Catching these big dogs on um, lures, especially at a place called Lake Tyres, where you've got to imagine the fish in that system, they're all catching the So every single one of them, once they're 80, 90 centimetres, probably been caught 30 times each or more. And let's be honest, they're probably sick to death of those fake lures tricking them, hurting them in the mouth and then getting handled and released. So they're getting smarter and smarter all the time. And so you've got to keep up in the game and changing the game to catch these bastards. So the challenge is there. It's not as easy as everyone thinks. I'm sure there's days when they are easy. But I'm up there with gun fishers like Troy Eaton, the Lorax. And um, <laughs> Troy Eaton owns that reel it in brand. Does all the flatty lures and does all the flatty competitions. And I look up to him. He's absolutely gun at being flatty. Yeah. And he was up there for seven days. He didn't get a fish over 60 for the first seven days. And that's, that's, that's absolutely, in my mind, a guru. So I feel quite privileged that we got fish over 60 in those few days we were there. But what we did different this time, because it was so hard at Lake Tires, we snuck off to Lake Entrance. Now, Lake Entrance, we all know, should have these places in it, but it's not known for it. And people don't really go up there. In fact, all the locals at Lake Entrance still got Lake Tires to catch their fish, right? So we are there for three days at Lake Entrance. And we stuck it on the first day of a place called the North Arm. The water was like coffee. Terrible. Caught nothing. Next day, we went out to the place called the Barrier. So we're heading out, now we're heading out sorting, and we've got that little, like, channel that runs off to the right near the mouth there. Yep. Across from the main one that goes up to all the shops. Yep. We went up there, and we thought, we don't even know where to start. We don't even know if there's fish in here. And what we did is it was just cobalt blue, crystal clear water. It was amazing. And it looks like it's a metre deep, but it's like two metres deep and stuff. So we were in there. So what we decided to do, what's the best way to, to catch platys or find where the platys are, is we put the main engine on, went up into the shallows, cruised around everywhere in the shallows until we started spooking fish. And all of a sudden <laughs> it came out of the bank, fish shooting off there and that. He's going, Dad, Dad, another one, another one. Big cloud of dust. Another one. He goes, that one was 700. That one was 800. So they're big fish. We think, shit, we found them. So the problem is we spooked them all, didn't we? Yeah. <laughs> so... But one of the things you know about flatties is is that they always go back to their, their lie. Um, they do it in between tides. They do it if both spook and they go back to their lie. Sure enough, over the next couple of days, we went back and hit all those lies one by one until we pulled all the fish. And that's where we got most of the fish this year. 
and uh, including a lot of fish in the six to seven hundred range, and one fish that was just on just under eight hundred. Now, typically an eight hundred mil fish um, in like size is your standard sort of. I'd say it's on past to say eight kilo episode. It's a, it's a good capture. Yeah. Um, so let's say in Lake Pies, it weighs about eight pounds, seven up eight pounds. Uh, in Lake Tens, it's like ten pounds. Just giant fish. So that fish that Chin got, let me just describe this to you. One of the most exciting things about play fishing for me is that you go and work these big bass sandbanks where you can't see a single bit of light. Just crystal clear water. It's super shallow, like 30 centimetres deep. It's just also sand. But you know that somewhere on that sandbank, uh, there's predators, apex predators living in the sand. But you know they're there. So you've got to methodically work and pepper that bank like a fan, you know, like fan across it. Uh, apex predators just sandals. cowering, hiding under the sand. Well, well that's just, that was just on the dominating. We didn't know he was there. He was under the sand. Well, this one here. Yeah. He's. If you look right back against the dunes behind you, there's like 30 centimetres of water back there. And that's where we're going from. We're right up against the edge. So you cast in this little tiny uh, plastic in 30 centimetres of water, popping them along the bottom. Next thing I know, just out of nowhere, the, the sand just explodes. It picks up the sand. And these freaks come flying out from the sand and just grab the lure. And that is what's exciting about bloody fishing for me. It's a bit like watching a you know, tuna come up on a popper or something. You know? It's just that yeah. exciting moment. It just explodes out of nowhere. You didn't know it was there. You get a heart rate. And then, you know, why they go hard? They actually go pretty bloody hard on light string. So that, that's what we do it for, for that moment. And obviously the goal every time we go is to get a 90-centimetre fish. Didn't happen this year, but the water was shit. Yeah. The water most of the place was brown. So that that was uh, our, our trip. We were up there with Josh and Pawsey. Um, basically, we didn't see them for seven days. <laughs> they, um, they were in their, their flatty light. Their human flatty like hold the pub. <laughs> yeah. So, give an example. This is our day. We get up at sort of quarter to four, hitting the water at sort of first light, four thirty. That's the first light down on the east coast. Get a first crackle. We fish till seven, seven thirty. Come back, rest during the day. Maybe go for a little bit of a midday flatty fluke run, and then hit sunset. Get home, you're exhausted, you crash in the bed, and then you repeat it. Whereas the Pawsey crew, Pawsey and Joshy, Mitch. Co. They they starts off about eight. They get out of bed and they're already swigging beers by that time. <laughs> and they have a big hook up at the camp. And then we go fishing. We get back and they're just taking off to go fishing. So they'll go somewhere and I'll catch some brim on some pilchards somewhere. And they'll stick it after thirty minutes and they'll head off to one of the local pubs on the water. So something like yeah, you know, the meat hunt pub. And uh, they go to the meat hunt pub. They often stock up on their slabs while they're there, head off out after lunch after a cannery. And there's one day that we caught them doing that. And we said, you'll see you back <laughs> you in camp. We all together. That. Yeah. So we came back that day. We said, we'll, we'll meet the back at Lake Benson. And uh, they went missing. We couldn't find them back at camp. Through a few hours past, we said, you know, that doesn't mean maybe you had an accident or something like that. You know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. So, so I'm going to go over the car and go have a look for them. But before I go down the boat ramp, I'm just going to cruise past the Lake Central pub. And there I am at the light. And I'm just sitting at the light in front of the pub. And I look in the window and it's like, I'm Joshy. Yeah. And Paul <laughs> Just in the pub. Right, in the pub. So in the shop pub window. Dead. So they left there. Flat. We came back. And they basically did it every day. So that was their holiday. Good on them. It's very Aussie of them. Mm. And, um, 
Me and Finn chased the frogs, frogs. Well, we're a bit more hardcore. So, no, that's cool. So, uh, hey, and it's good, actually, looking at those photos that you've given Adrian, it's good to see some nice, in-focus, beautifully composed photos. I didn't know you still did that. <laughs> yeah, I was actually deliberately scared not to use 0.5 on my camera. They would pull me off, everyone. It's just some of the previous year's efforts when we just discovered the uh, wide lens on the iPhone. There was some uh, interesting blurry brown log photos of the flathead you'd been catching. And I just uh, encouraged you to go back to your grassroots of taking a beautiful in-focus, nice shot of the fish, and it looks like you've done that. So I'm very pleased. I've taught a few, I've taught a few people to be good photographers over the time, you know that? Yes. No, you did. So, and now you've lost your way. Family <laughs> uh, way. Anyway, but, yeah, so I know you've been able to come on the show for ages, but um, I always have a priority try to find something to get me busy every day of the week. And um, but I would have come in there today, but David having COVID, no one's scared. So. <laughs> I don't have COVID. I got the tests and everything. Yeah, no, they're wrong. So Brendan, <laughs> wrong. you you love your flatty fishing. You've been doing it, you know, every summer holidays for as long as I've known you. What actually got you into the flatty fishing? Like you've oh, got some God. kind of passion hey, for it. Most people associate me with Mulloway, you know, things like that, Zappa. But the truth is, that's because I live. With those species, but my heart, ever since I was a kid, with mum and dad and nan, and was going to Flinders Island. So I learned to fish at Flinders Island, um, in Bass Strait. There as a kid, our family holidays would be three or four times to Flinders Island every year, and we would have a uh, we had an eighty six seater bus up there converted to a camper, and we'd start a place called Northeast River, which we know a bit about lately because our friend Joan has been there, and Ashley Helm's been there, and caught some big fish, and it's just an amazing place, it's like heaven on earth. If you've never Never heard of it. Check out Northeast River on Google Maps at Flinders Island. It's just, uh, just like heaven on earth. You'd love, a, you'd love a couple of weeks there now, knowing everything we know now, wouldn't you? It'd be crazy. Oh, my God. There'd be some giant floaties in there. Yeah. And even back then, I had fishing over 90 centimetres uh, in that system on bait. So many years later, I went back with lures and caught them up to about 70 centimetres on lures in there. But here's the interesting thing. They're not even dusty floaters. So no. we're talking about genuine giants that aren't duskies in that system. So so basically you sent me this photo. I don't know if you can see that. That's like some old school photo. Wow. Yeah, we'll see that. That's not a dusky. And no. you can tell because the, the nose is round. Is that a yank? It's almost black. It's a yank, but blue spot flooded. And they do get to 95 centimetres. That's and huge. As far as I know, we've been did some extensive search for photos of big yanks, but that's the biggest one we've ever seen. Yeah, right. So, so you got the world record in blue spots. Well, didn't, they used to have massive ones on the wall at um, Port Albert Pub, I think. Yeah, well, they'd be yanked. Yeah, yeah. Sure. Well, I never went Although, in there, but I remember people telling me, I think there was even some over a metre there. Well, well, the thing about Port Albert Port and McLaughlin Beach and stuff, there would be a bit of overlap there. There would be some duskies in that system, I believe, because... Gibson Lakes is one of the strongholds of dusky flooded. It's just the next system along, isn't it? Yeah. So you can't, you can't rule a mixture of duskies in there. No. But uh, whether it's duskies or, or, or yanks, you just take your mark. Like the mark for, for a dusky would be over 94 metre. And the yanks, you just take anything up to 700 is an awesome fish. You've got a 740 last year land base um, at Port Albert. Yep. Land base got a yank. Um, we, we filmed that for you, Fish, on, on the channel. Um, 
Anyway, on the subject of you, it's nice to have you two back this week. I saw a video you put up. Yeah? What did uh, you say? I saw Washo um, flying the drone around in the ocean like a lunacy. So basically, was... I'm saving the, the Ufish YouTube channel because no one uploads so, to it anymore. Oh. Um. <laughs> <laughs> hey, what we will be. For 2022. Yeah. That's going to be happening. Yep. Not, I won't just be doing Tyrannus, I'll be doing Ufish again. Yeah. No, well, we're going to discuss our trip to Portland shortly. Yeah. Um, we just wanted to get your flathead trip out of the way. Like, because I actually, why I called you, it wasn't about catching fish. I wanted to hear about the mishaps of the holiday because we all know fishing holidays don't go to plan. Um, and I heard you had a lot of mishaps on this trip. Can you go through the list for us? I'll just try and rattle them off. Um, I just still caught on fire. What? Your boat caught on fire? Yeah, literally caught on fire. Um, <laughs> there's a short in the in the wiring between the electric motor batteries and the engine. Somewhere there's a short. So the wire, the earth wire that was connecting the the engine leg to the engine mount as a wire was glowing white, hot like an element. And it was leaning on the and there was actually smoke pouring off the boat. And people saw it. And oh, holy crap. We just, we just turned the power off and just water on it. That was the oh. first thing that happened. Uh, the other thing that happened is I lost over $1,000 worth of lures out of the boat. $1,000 oh, oh. of lures. What happened? Yep. Joey wants to know what happened to your lures. Okay, so here's the story. And I, and I honestly, honestly do not know. They could have flown out of the boat, but it's unlikely given we just done 400 k's with them in the boat in a large plastic tackle box. I can't imagine how that's flown out of the boat. Yeah, but I did have <laughs> you do have form. Yeah. <laughs> I did have a space. I had a power nap at a service station at Can River and did said there was a guy looking around in the boat. Probably didn't know I was asleep in the boat. He may have done something with him. I also met another guy at Now and Now who was looking at the boat. I don't think it's him, but he said, I oh, remember me when I'm the guy you punch in the nose. Uh, I'm Frank Sapir. Are you serious? I said, oh, yeah. yeah. We're all good. He goes, yeah, we're all good. Uh, I don't remember it. Um, so many noses yeah, punched that you can't remember that particular one? <laughs> I, I punched a few noses. Okay. I know there's been some sinker chucking at Frankston back in the day. No, you got to get me and Matt Hunt together. Oh, I'm sure we could tell you me and Matt Hunt. Yeah, we actually should. People would love to hear the fucking on-water battles me and Matt had. Yeah. We respect each other now, but you're growing up. The on-water battles between me and Matt Hunt, there was days when I unloaded a whole sinker box like a machine gun into the Shimano Explorer. <laughs> it was casting shit around my neck and trying to strangle me with garfish. He's trying um, to strangle you with garfish? Maybe he impale you with a garfish? He just says when we charge each other in boats that's off short Portland and stuff, you know. Just all shit. Polo Bay. Awesome. Mm. Uh, well, that's anyway, that's back another back. episode. Yeah, we'll <laughs> get us in there together. We'd have some fun. No, we'll try it. Yeah. Um, the the other thing that happened is I got wrapped up. Prop got wrapped up in someone's line, so I had to pull all that off one day. Oh, uh, <laughs> you drove someone's set line, basically. No, no. Well, it was like fifty pound line. I don't know what it was. But it was all over the place. Fifty pound line. Some poor kid had his yeah. Christmas present rod and reel cast off the jetty and. Brendan just ploughs past and wraps it all up in his prop. 
Well, there was one moment that sort of happened. But, um, <laughs> I'm, I'm really I interested in the moment where you got Caroline Reapered. Yeah, 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 yeah. So there was another moment where we got back after half day fishing and the boys were all half cut making fish flatty tacos. Yum. And uh, Mitch, Aussie's son, goes, Winger, you want some hot sauce on your taco? And I'm going, yeah, slam that shit on. Love hot sauce. What I didn't know, it was the Carolina Reaper sauce. Ooh. And as we know. So tell us a little bit. Yeah. The world's hottest it's chili, is it? 1.5 million Scoville. So it's even hotter than the Scorpion, Scorpion Trinidad. <laughs> and um, you pour that shit over the taco and I ate the whole thing. And I was literally doing pausey joke. Gassing <laughs> my lips in beer, trying to cool my lips down for about 15 minutes. Oh, man. It was absolutely ridiculous. <laughs> I was nearly vomiting. Um, and then, last but not least, I've lost forward gear in Chile. So, the last few days, I was driving around in reverse everywhere to fish. <laughs> <laughs> reverse up to so a few flatty lies. Backing up the channel at, at Lake, that's because I didn't have forward gear and I wasn't being silly. I just thought it was the only way I could get in. So, so <laughs> you... Me and Adrian reckon we know why. We reckon why? that your wiring issue heated up something in your um, gear shift throttle and milk so and high that it's yeah, it's not synchronising anymore. Yeah, yeah what's well, something like that? Yeah. So Mel Marine that for me. Hey, today, classic winger. <laughs> Broken. So that's sorted out by the boys, thankfully. They got Australian. Awesome. Uh, oh, nice. What else happened? The Grim Reaper, yeah, he visits me while I was sleeping on that Carolina Reaper. <laughs> oh, oh, Joey. One night, think about swags. You should feel safe on a swag, shouldn't you? You leave them zipped up all the time, don't you? Oh, no. <laughs> no, I feel vulnerable. So in theory, nothing you get into your swag, can it? Well, so I... there I am that night, I'm drunk, I get in the, I'm New Year's Eve, I get in the swag, and I'm looking around, and there was a light on my head still, and I look up on the roof there, and I don't know how, for the world's <laughs> fastest, um, wolf spider is dangling above me in the net in the tent, and I was absolutely it was like an giant epileptic bit of feeling. <laughs> so you, 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 a wolf spider. So he's gone. It's a huntsman, but he's upgraded to a wolf spider, basically. No, no, no. There was a wolf with a stripe and shit, and it was lightning. So I couldn't keep up with him. Man, I was just jumping out of the tent, zipping it up, and then stomping all over it for twenty minutes. Oh no! <laughs> Until he was dead, and then I went to sleep. Because you actually um, have one of the most severe cases of arachnophobia I've ever seen. Like, not, this not, is not joking. Uh, Brandon, not just arachnophobia. Uh, We've seen him, like, attack goannas because he's so scared of him. Like, it's any what? kind of living animal. Like, we're talking about geese with their little bill um, beaks that you don't like and they hiss at you. They're like your least favourite animal, those geese. <laughs> What's a goose going to do? Ooh, ooh. Gonna come a bunch of with my beak, am I? Brendan loves loves animals. You, you should see when he gets home from work. He gets out of his car, he walks into the house, and it's literally like a scene out of Ace Ventura. He has his arms up like this. Come to me, my animal friends, and then you just see all these animals just like start frolicking towards him. I've got a forty five kilo rottweiler, as we know, Joey. And I sit in the couch, and she bounds up onto my chest. I literally sit here giving me kisses. She just loves me that much. And seventeen cats. Bitches. Yeah. Yeah, don't forget the um, 17 cats. And the chickens. No, the chickens are living at Paulsy's house now. Oh, we got yeah. a chicken update there, Brendan. Yes, the chickens are very plump and happy at Paulsy's. Yeah. Um, we sent me last week. A um, couple of other animal experiences at Lake. Um, one night the prawns burst up around, erupted around the boat. Oh, the prawns are running? Well, I wouldn't say running. 
but it was three nights before the full, but it was certainly a good sign that they were going to run because it was at least there was a fair amount of them. I wouldn't say it was a full run, but they certainly a few hundred have popped up. And uh, but the other interesting thing I saw when we were looking at the prawns is there's a local community of water rats. Giant oh, water rats. Yes, the water rats. Ben thought they were otters. No, <laughs> they <were> that big. <laughs> <laughs> he goes, Dad, look, some otters. Just giant water yeah, rats. Dad, I think it was a badger or an otter. <laughs> a badger. And they, they scoot around in the estuary chasing prawns. They're quite clever. Yeah. And they actually go on the water and swim at high speed and everything. They're quite impressive. Um, we caught a we caught a um a luderick on a lure, a brim on a lure. Oh, yes, the old blackfish. Uh, uh, on sixteen pound line, which is very unusual. And Finn caught a bloody massive seahorse. And it didn't actually hook it. The seahorse actually grabbed and held onto his lure. So I've got a good video of that. So was it a seahorse or a sea dragon? Seahorse, but it looks like a dragon. Okay. Oh, okay. One of those ones. Yes, it looks like a little like a fire-breathing dragon. They're quite remarkable little creatures. Yeah. Hmm. Interesting. Um, So we'll run down your mishaps. Your boat caught on fire. Your engine doesn't go into Ford gear. You lost a thousand dollars of lures, and you got Carolina Reaper. Yeah, you got Carolina Reaper, and yeah, yeah, and your motor guide charging system was catching everything else on oh, fire the too. Boat on fire. Yeah. yeah, I love it. Memories forever. Anyway, that's just your standard Brendan Wing trip away. And uh, anyway, thanks for sharing that one with us, Brendan. It's great to get a walkthrough <laughs> of how you're. Uh, when are you heading back up there? By the way. Well, if, if, if I can get my boat to go in non-reverse, mm. um, I'll probably consider going up there as soon as the wind stops. So I've decided I'm not going back to work. So Ever? I'm just going to fish. Never. Wow. So He's resetting the YouTube channel. He's going to make it great again. Well, is that? Yeah. But also, some other interests. Um, I'll, I'll wean off. There's a few very valuable, important people I deal with that I won't let down, so I'll keep doing it for a little bit, but... Basically, yeah. Yeah, nice I'm one. Oh, well, that's, so that's exciting. Awesome. Uh-huh. Well, well leave. I hope that um, yep. you're happy with that, and I hope they gave you a bit of um, entertainment, Joey. Oh, yeah. I can't, I can't wait to come in the studio and do the Joe Fernand 5 to 1 countdown for you. <laughs> oh, that'll you've never happen because you always have some. I've got to put in an envelope, hand it to me, and I'm going to read them out for you. Look, you know, um, you used to actually do things in. Uh, you know, top five you used to rate people in. Um, that's my top five people that I choose to hang out with or, today. Yeah. <laughs> now I know you're into top fives, so I'd love to have you. Yeah, right. on my no, that's a, it's a classic Brendan Wynn joke where yeah. there's you're with someone and you give them a, a power rating, and it's never number one. No, it's just <laughs> you're in my top three people I've spoken to in the last hour. Yeah. Well, <laughs> and, you're and, you're, and... you're the top. You're the top. You're on the top five podcasts I've done today. You know what I mean? <laughs> good. That's good to hear. Good to hear. We wouldn't yeah, want to be top, number one. Top, we want room for improvement. Possibly top three. So, oh, well done. Wow, wow hey. I'm going to go back to tuning some Jet. Yeah, I'm sure you're actually doing a lot there. I'm sure Jeff's actually just doing yeah, all Jeff. the mechanical work and you're just standing there telling him what he's doing wrong. <laughs> <laughs> all right, See thanks, boys. Brendan. We'll speak to you later. No See you, Benny. See you, man. We'll a couple of months, yeah? Yep, yeah. Yep. We'll have you in studio when... Um, you're ready to come in. When you've run out of excuses, you can come in. <laughs> when there's when there's the experience over, I'll be there. All right. Beautiful. All right. See, See you, mate. See ya. Anyway, I thought that was a pretty good wrap-up of Brendan's 
trip up on the flatties. Oh yeah, he doesn't. <laughs> he doesn't know how to organise a trip properly, does he? Without having dramas, does he? No, but that's what makes it really funny. So <laughs> yeah. it was, uh, it's always an entertaining listen when you get the recap from him. But uh, we had our own little trip. We didn't go for however many weeks he did. We literally did one day of glory rolling, didn't we, Adrian? Oh, mate. So a trip to Portland is basically like a five-hour run from Melbourne. Yeah, well, for, we're from southeast Melbourne, so. For some people, they, would not, they wouldn't consider doing it for more than like a three- to four-day ordeal. Like, <laughs> no, nah. you, you don't day trip Portland nah. unless you're seriously keen. Well, and- yeah. Well, we had a couple of options. Um, we we're going to go to Lake Tyres and chase Flatty with Brendan, and he wasn't doing so well as you heard his stories just then. Um, and I think the only place that kind of had decent reports were Port Ferry, Portland area with Tuna and Kings. Well, there wasn't even reports. We it was it was just in that little period of time before everything sort of started to fire, and you could tell easily what was going on. So, Look, I think you just took it from uh, the top five um, Christmas New Year fishing spots that I mentioned on a couple of weeks ago. I'm pretty sure it wasn't on your top five. <laughs> I think I added it afterwards. No, it was, on, it was there. <laughs> was it? I'm going to have to go back and check that. A bit of banter between was. the boys here. Uh, I, <laughs> 100% I, was. I thought I added it afterwards. Oh, no, he no, said, no. She said. Anyway, <laughs> we worked out that that's what we're going to do. We only had a day. Um, two reasons. We couldn't get accommodation. Yep. And also, we wanted to be back for New Year's. With the families. Which I fell asleep at 9pm anyway, but yep. we wanted to be back for New Year's with the family, so we decided we'd just do it all in one day. Yep. And how'd that go, Adrian? Well, we, we left, I told everyone to come to my house about, I don't know, 3 o'clock in the yeah, morning? Yeah, 3, yeah. Yep. I wanted to leave at 3am. Dave rocked up about 2.50, everything was all loaded up in the driveway and... Joey rocked at about three oh five. That's not I mean five. Yeah, no. <laughs> yeah three oh five. Hang on, hang I'll on. Take that. No, I mean, no, three three oh two. All I know is I got there in time to load stuff up and be waiting for Joe. So yeah. <laughs> classic Joe. We, we got away with pretty good time, and uh, we cruised on down to Portland. Three or four hour drive. Yeah, four and a half from Carum. So, and then yeah, she was. We got there and it was a bit breezier than we thought it was going to be. Um, after studying all the maps, but you know that's all right. Mm. We're in a really big boat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we're, we're in Adrian's four twenty Renegade, uh, which is quite a small boat if you know anything about it or you've mm. seen Adrian's one in previous podcasts. Kitted out absolutely beautiful. I got to say, Adrian was really impressed with how you fitted out that boat. Yeah, but, but we haven't had it out with three people uh, before. Three up. It was a bit um, testing, but I think we all managed, didn't we? Yeah, the, it was absolutely, it was fine, but it didn't like planing with all the weight <laughs> down the back of the boat. So someone would have to sit up the very front to get the nose down and planing again. But then that's like the harshest riding part of the boat. So nobody wants to sit up there and get slammed around. No, no. Say no to bow riding, basically. Yeah, so <laughs> it's not fun. Anal pounding, basically. <laughs> oh, good, good God. So yeah, we did. We 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 managed that, and then um, the fishing didn't. Eventually, exactly how we like. When we got there, the the water was quite dirty. Yeah, it was. We had like all these milky streaks in the water, and it wasn't that cobalt blue. It had um blue in it, and um yeah, it had blue in it, but it wasn't that cobalt clear crystal blue water that we like down there. Um, yeah, we basically went from Portland Harbour basically to um JPI 
twice. We did two laps basically. Yeah. And couldn't find any fish. We'd been driving for about six, seven hours or whatever. And we've basically given up. Joey was about to curl up on the floor there, weren't you, Joey? Well, you know, it's it, I, I had a similar kind of trip at the at the start of uh last year and yeah, once it gets to sort of around the middle of the day, um yeah, your your vision to actually spot the tuna becomes uh, a lot better because at this time of the year it's not traditional tuna season where you don't necessarily see them on on birds. You you're visually trying to spot these fish and you know our visibility wasn't the best first thing in the morning Adrian mentioned there were patches of you know not great water there's cloud cover um you know we've all got polarized lenses on and we couldn't see absolutely jack shit until it got to around yeah. 12 o'clock no it was, it was later than that joe it was about um four o'clock um really yeah yeah I wasn't asleep that long. <laughs> well, I, I don't think it's the visual aspect. Like if they were there, we would have seen them. Um, the, the we've issue, got yeah. good eyes. It's just they they weren't in there until that tide turned and, and yeah. flooded in. The issue is we also fished a dodge tide up there. There was only one tide a day for the last um, week down there. So um, there's literally one tide would go for 12 hours down there because there wasn't a neap tide. In that at all, yeah. In that system at all, oh, so well, I just did a iPhone check, yeah. 243, yeah. Okay, so yeah, Joey fell asleep, and then we finally found the fish. So he, he's um, us on the boat there, putting the drone up to find the fish. And um, as you can see there, that's what the fish look like, that's what we we're looking for all day. And we finally found it that little bit of rippling water. Oh, yeah, it's crazy. So, little black footballs. Yeah. Well, not, not so little in that. Nah. <laughs> well, there's some good fish in that, wasn't there? Oh, 100%. So, yeah, we finally found all these fish there. And, um, yeah, so we casted the tackle box at them, didn't we, Joey? We chucked, we chucked a, a bit at them. I know you guys didn't agree with me, but I definitely would have loved to have chucked um, – some little 10-gram slugs, some really, really small stuff. I was copping a bit of flack going, oh, Joey, they'll just straighten the hooks, <laughs> which is probably right, but I've got to challenge you on it. You know, those fish, we could nudge the boat fairly close to them. So Yeah, yeah, that's true. Well, you didn't do it, so <laughs> well, you can't believe that much. The, pro- the problem is, Joey, with, that, with those little lures, we didn't have light enough gear to flick them out 40, 50 metres from the boat because, as you know, we tried to get as close as we can and they just go down and run away from us. So Jay was virtually using one of those lures anyway. He had yeah. like a metal sinking stick bait about that long. I had a 100, 128 gram um, stick bait that, that, you know, it's like one of those pencil things that looked like pilchard white bait. Um, when we were actually hooked up to one of the fish, uh, I've seen uh, some three three separate white baits uh just scatter and yeah seconds after we've seen a, a pack of tuna just explode on them so i thought you know well maybe we're going to match the hatch here with that but um they were extremely difficult yeah as you can see here um that's how close we were to them and they're just everywhere around us that's beautiful footage adrian Anyway, we tried casting everything in a tackle box. We've had this many times before and it's usually, it's not the lure you're using, it's their feeding pattern and eventually they will just switch on and start eating top water. On this day, they didn't. And we kind of go fishing for these summer tuna with 
three main things in our arsenal. Top water, trolled bib minnows, so diving lures, and top water trolled spreader bars. And usually one of those things works, and this time it was the spreader bar. So Adrian actually got some awesome footage when we did put that spreader bar on of just how many fish were coming up and chasing it, and we got some explosive strikes. We did, we did. Um, I'm going to try to find that footage now of of the... Um, the spreader bar. Yeah, the spreader bar. So just bear with me. I've got a timestamp somewhere on this. Unfortunately, you missed the first hookup when we had that um, that bar running behind us where it was just insane. The same fish had about five cracks at the lure before he finally ate it. Oh, it was a brilliant strike. Absolutely brilliant strike. So here we go here. <laughs> We've got this red bar here and just out of nowhere, we'd been driving about two minutes off the, the pack of tuna there and they just come out of nowhere on the red bar. But they must have been chasing it for some time. So, so for those people listening that, that don't don't know what a spreader bar is, like you've obviously got the decoys, which is which is the bar, but you do actually have a skirt with a, a hook attached to that. Is that yep. correct? Yeah, you have the your traditional lure about twenty centimeters behind the teaser, which is the spreader bar, and you can see on this footage we can't see this from the boat, so we would we wouldn't have any idea that there's like 30, 40 fish coming in behind that lure and it's actually quite interesting to watch and teaches you a lot about fishing because you can see they're pretty switched on and wary. They're following it because they're interested in it but they know something's not quite right. Yeah. So they hang about 10 metres behind it and then I think you even see in part of this a bit of, we go past a bit of weed and then the tuners see the weed and go off and look at that and get distracted like a bunch of idiots. He's just (laughs) missed that. Yeah. Look, I, when, they're all gone. They've seen the weed in the water and they just veer off. On one of the passes where we, we didn't actually hook up, I, I tend to think that like you know, I'm, I'm looking behind the boat at, at the spreader bar. Like sometimes that actually makes them compete for it. Like you'd see the tuna going over the top of each other, hitting the, the decoys, and then one tuna commits to the one that's actually got the real hook in it. Yeah, well, yeah. Uh, it's virtually the the only way you're going to get a bite there is when you get them competing in an aggro and one of them goes ab- above the, the other ones and tries to beat them because if they get a proper look at it, they're going to work out that it's something's not quite right with it oh. unless they're in an ultra-aggressive mood. Yeah, I agree with that 100%. But it's so funny because when you're out there and you've told guys you're on them, you chucked every lure at, at them, they suggest lures that you should be using. Oh, everyone <laughs> thinks that they could have got the bite when you couldn't. No, yeah, 100% on, on the day. <laughs> and, and we actually had mates do that. Uh, hi, Shane, if you're listening. Uh, told me a particular stick bait and I'm like, yeah, mate. We've tried that. We've tried everything. We've done stick baits. And I bet he was thinking, oh, I'll get them to bite. And then they went out the next day and they didn't. They were casting at them all day and they didn't get a bite. So yeah, you just you do have to find that one thing on the – and it's, there will be something, 90% of the time there's something that will trigger them. So we basically only went out with top water um, casting gear basically and we did bring two – of my snapper rods just to troll um, skirts or whatever just in case we couldn't get the bite. And I'm glad that we did because we wouldn't have got a bite any other way. No. I, literally, I think I in the very first time we found him, I casted, second or third cast I did, I got this big bullf and he missed the lure 
And that's the only interest we had all day on top order. Yeah, they followed it, but they weren't ever going to actually eat it. Yeah. Even with the hundreds of casts we did. And they didn't really get any more aggressive as, as the evening went on either. Like and Sometimes they do. By the, by the end of the evening, we left. We were still running over schools with that same spreader bar out and they stopped even taking any interest in that. Exactly. We, we ended up. Quarter to seven. <laughs> and we went home and it was at the very early time of 8 p.m. We got off the water and gave up like quitters and then drove home through the night. Well, I think they only ate the spreader bar because when we are fighting one of Joey's fish, there was a tiny school of whitebait. It must have mm. been less than a metre cir- circumference wide and um, that's how small the school was. And then as we're fighting the fish, uh, one tuna just exploded on that little school of whitebait. Have you got that on your video reel? Oh, uh, no, not, not here. Not handy. <laughs> no, not handy. So if anyone wants to watch the full um, episode of this, uh, Adrian's edited it all together. It's on the You Fish TV YouTube page. So yeah. it's a pretty cool little episode there. Yeah, you know, yeah. Show a lot of the stuff that we're talking about now. But, yeah, th- that's why I think um, the spread of our actually worked was because they're on these real small schools of whitebait yep. and a spread of our kind of imitates that little school that's separated from a big school of um, fish, I guess. Yeah, yeah and they, they attack that. So. But the thing is, they're 90% of the time they are on that bait. Yeah. So it's just some days they just, they're just more aggressive and they'll eat something that doesn't even resemble the main thing that they're preying upon. Yeah, that's right. Sometimes a bigger lure, they look at it and they go, oh, that's more food, less effort. I'll yep. eat that. And that's why that can be more effective. Yeah, which is, I agree with that too. Yeah. So, Which is also the method we employ with the bigger ones, the big tuna. A lot of the time, this will run like a 12-inch lure and like they're feeding on six-inch pilchards, but they'll still eat the bigger thing because it's it, it, to them it looks like some separate prey item that's separated from the packet. It's easy to get and it'll give them lots of food and sustenance with less effort than having to eat a bunch of smaller stuff. So there's endless theories you can go through for tuna fishing, but yeah. So it's got to find the one that works on the day, <laughs> which is what we did. Um, we did, we were pretty keen to catch kingfish down there, but that didn't happen. Oh, um, no, that was really funny story. <laughs> yes. I remember we were in that North shore in that milky yeah, patch of water and um yeah, we, we saw a couple of boats down there. We saw a couple of boats. They're um, putting in big silver wriggling things and people eagerly leaning over the side with the net. And I'm like, oh, I think they're kings. And then <laughs> and a fellow on the boat. Yeah, I drove over there. He's like, nah, it's the biggest salmon you've ever seen. Yeah, and I'm like, I'm not staying here for salmon. I'm That's going looking for tuna again. <laughs> Adrian really spiralled at that point. Oh, yeah. He's like, I'm not doing this. And also some guy apparently, <laughs> apparently we were, we were right on his trolling line because some guy was trolling through there catching the salmon. We I were mean, just floating and, and watching. Well, yeah, salmon. we happened to just float in there and it's like, mate, it's all right. You can have your, your salmon line. No, no, yeah. no. Didn't he say, no, he's driven past and we've just given the, you know, the yeah. wave and he's just said under his breath to Dave, Right in the middle of them. <laughs> so basically, I drove to the edge of this little reef in the North Shore there, and we parked basically right on the edge so we could cast lures on that edge line. Yeah, and yeah, he he literally trolled two meters away from us while we while we're drifting. We weren't even really drifting because there was no tide. Mind you, there was five other boats in there doing the same thing, and this guy had come from about two hundred meters up the other way on his yeah. on his path. So I don't know if he thought that everyone should just scatter so he can. Continue yeah. ploughing over there catching but salmon. It's very strange behaviour for a salmon. <laughs> yeah, I know. So at that point, we're like, wow, this is ridiculous. So and they, you know, out. sometimes the kings are mixed in with salmon, so maybe you've got to put up with that. Yeah, well, no, that is where the kings had been, so they 
That's it, why people were in there, Joe. Yep. Adrian, you, you know, one of the reasons why we stood stood out until uh, last light was you were pretty eager to get – you had five tags that you wanted to put into a tuna and so we kept two for the table. The third fish, we put a tag in it. Yeah. And you're like, i got four tags left. we got to catch another four. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about your tags. So we've got these tag cards here. So we have a, had a few questions about these, um, where do you get them from and what do you write on them? Um, basically, if you're in a game fishing club, um, you can just email or call the president of that club and he, he can send you some tags out. Or you can email or call the DEPI or DPI, what it's called these days. Are they are they specifically <laughs> just for tuna, those sort of uh, tags? Because I know there's an awful lot of research that goes into Yeah, so tuna. every every tag's a bit different. Um, marlin have different, um, I guess, pinheads that go into the fish to tuna and yeah, kings. Yeah, mar- marlin are more of like a spear thing yeah. that um, sits under the skin. It's like a big... Like an yeah, anchor. Yeah. yeah. And you push that in and it stays in and... Tuna's more of a little barbless hook kind of thing. And what game fishing club are you a part of, Adrian? Uh, the Latrobe Valley Game Fishing Club. Awesome. So if you fish um, tournaments like Marlin Comps and stuff like the Bermagui Shimano Blue Water Classic, mm-hmm. you have to be in a game club to, um, I guess, be a part of it. So, mm, And so. I've been a part of that since 2015, I think. Awesome. So, so, so run us through some of the stuff that we record on the – Card, yeah. So basically, um, obviously, this the species. So we got the species there. I don't know if you can see that. Um, fight time minutes, and you got to put your your lat and longs on there. And you oh. just write the middle numbers basically, so you know where it got caught. Because I guess it's an honesty system. Um, if someone recaptures it, they can look at the tag, pull it out, or just say that they've um, recaptured it. So it can. These tuna obviously go right around Australia and all that. So, because there's a big breeding ground up north in Broome, is it, Dave? Is it Indi- Indian Ocean they spawned? Uh, the, I think it's off like Java or something in Indonesia is where they go up to spawn, they yeah. reckon. So, these southern bluefin tuna go, you know, quite a long way to um, spawn. But it's funny because we, we keep seeing more and more fish every summer down in Victoria and South Australia. Well, I think, yeah, there needs to. There could possibly be a bit more work done on the movements of tuna because I think when a lot of the sap tagging, tagging was done was before we had this fishery that went like through spring and summer like really strongly. Yep. So I believe that's the period when they're supposed to be back at Java breeding. So whether there's two spawning aggregations throughout the year or something like that, I'm not really yeah, it's sure. It's funny because traditionally the um, school tuna would run in winter, I guess. Yeah. Um, and now we're seeing them kind of all year round. Yeah. So it's the just population's about, yeah. come back really strongly and now we're seeing what may may have been older migratory paths coming back. Yeah. And um, so that would be pretty cool. That's why we tag them. Um, last year I think we tagged probably about 20 or 30 fish. Yeah, until we ran out of tags basically. And this year we'll probably do the same because we, yeah. we usually keep about one tuna between whoever's on the boat. Yeah, yeah um, I love it. This time, because we haven't caught one for a while, we kept two, and then we were just saying between ourselves, really one would have done us. Like yeah. the amount of meat you get off a tuna. So we've been we've spent the week canning and sushi rolling and yeah. and and frying and. I was pretty pleased with my uh, with my meal that I that I came up with. If uh, if Adrian's got that somewhat handy. Yeah, so he made some stir fry thing. Yeah, just uh, did a uh, soy uh, 
garlic, habanero, and some uh, blanched broccolini with some uh, Asian shiitake mushrooms and uh, uh, the other the stringy ones and um, <laughs> stringy ones. <laughs> I think they're called enoki. Yeah, so String just did like dogs. a. Yeah, so I just uh, uh, grilled the tuna and then uh, made the, the sauce and the Asian vegetables and just tossed it through, and that was delicious. That looks good, Joe. Well done. Yeah. Thanks. It is there, Joey. Yeah. Well done, mate. So, yeah, that was our uh, our Portland trip. Um, yeah. It it was a long day. Like, I think we were on the road for 23 hours. So, we fished. Yeah. I looked at my sounder. We did 130-odd Ks on, on the boat. Um it was about 11 and a half hours of driving time, engine oh, running time. Oh, by the way, I've got to congratulate you on your car driving yes. efforts. Adrian's like a some sort of <laughs> non-sleeping car driving machine. I, I, I don't understand it. Like, like he wasn't even just being a hero about it. He's like, no, I'll drive back. I'm like, nah, it's all right, mate. Like, I'll get us some of the way. And he's like, nah. And like 3 You a. have to be so careful about at, that. At like 1 a.m., I'm like, I was doing my best to stay awake with him and like, I think I was dozing off around every corner and waking up again. Joe didn't care. He was in the back sleeping. And <laughs> I'm like, oh, Joe's I mean, asleep. I, was... I better stay awake just in case Adrian gets really tired. I was dead. But Adrian was like fully still switched on, like no drowsiness whatsoever. I could no. tell the whole way home. And yeah. I was just like. This... How do you train yourself to drive like that? Well, I'm a, I'm a tradie, Joey. So I travel a lot. I work you know, around the state, around the country, and I drive a hell of a lot. Like, So it's a, I guess I'm just kind of used to it now. I've kind of taught myself how to drive without dying. Tis, <laughs> tis no man, Joey. Tis a remorseless driving machine. There you go. I know a couple of other mates like that. Don't know how you guys do it. Credit to you, but... Look, yeah, you know, got to keep each other awake in I, the car. I used to be able to do it. Yeah, you've had some massive power rolls back in the day. You know, my biggest power roll is thirty-one hours straight, Joey. Yes. When where was that? From coming back from the Whit Sundays all the way home. Hang on, I did like two hours of that. Yeah, so it's a thirty-one hour drive, basically. Well, Melbourne to Whit Sundays, you. Yeah, he did. It was insane. Did, did you guys do it in one hit, or did yeah, you stop along the way? Which Brent, Brendan is, was asleep in the back seat. Well, no, he was in the front seat. He had his seat so far had his, back. Had his throne. He was next to Dave in the back seat. So Brendan's head's here and Dave's head is here. So I'm in the back seat and I can look across and go, oh, g'day, mate. Like his head's like next to me somehow. <laughs> oh, my gosh. The back seat would have All been so uncomfortable. Up. Yeah. But it, one hit. You, yeah, yeah. And how many days did that take you? Which Sundays to th- Melbourne? 31 hours. That's stupid. I'm not doing that again. <laughs> it's not enjoyable when you're like in that that – that that period of half asleep, half awake. Well, it's funny because I remember the Portland trip on the way home the other day. I was looking at it saying three hours and 40 minutes when we got to Warrnambool after we ate something. Right? Mm. And I'm driving. I'm like, oh, it's still three hours and 20 minutes. And then time was going so slow. Then all of a sudden we got 40 minutes left to go. I'm like, oh, that went pretty quick. We're in the we, city now. Because we whipped on our podcast. Yeah, we did. We listened to ourselves because Joey hadn't listened. He comes on the show quite often and he doesn't listen to anything that goes on. Yeah, so he tries <laughs> to reference new things and we've already covered it in weeks past. Well, I'm pretty sure I just referenced uh, before that uh, I suggested to go to the tuna grounds yeah, on well, my top five. I'm going to go look at your list again later because <laughs> I don't believe you. It's so. right there. Number yeah. three. Oh, is this last week's one? No, that was from last time I was on there. I've got the same. Uh, uh, okay. 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 All right. <laughs> You're a fishing prodigy. <laughs> so, <laughs> prodigy. 
All right. Well, very good. All right, that covers our, our little sojourn, sojourn to Portland pretty well. So, do we want to have a look at what else is happening around the state? Oh, just just quickly because um, we did put up my drone, mm. and we'd never really flown it on the ocean. Yeah. And the very first flight we did, I was showing the boys, oh, check all the tuna out on the screen and stuff. Then I landed it. Yeah. And I said, oh no, I haven't hit record because you got to manually yes. hit record on the on the iPhone. Classic. Hit off the camera. Mm. <laughs> and I had, and Dave's like, what? All that amazing stuff you're showing us I know, on your phone. So good. Luckily, but, we got it up again. Lucky you didn't realize that at the end of the day. I that know. would be heartbreaking. Yeah. So, <laughs> it was funny. We saved the situation. But I thought you were bloody really good drone pilot, Adrian. Hey, and you were a great drone catcher. Thanks, buddy. <laughs> yeah. Thanks. You know, when, when the fish are like that and they're everywhere, it's so hard to not pick up a rod and cast. Yeah, but I think... Would have been helpful to you the fact that we weren't catching any. Yeah, I think would so. Would have made you feel better about the situation. <laughs> but after I had the drone up there looking at all this stuff, I go, actually, you know what? This is a bit more interesting than casting lures without anything happening on your lures. Yeah. This is real fun. Like, I was zooming in and out and looking at all the schools, looking at the boat with the tuna next to us. It was really I was just incredible. waiting for, uh, for Joey to cast a lure into the drone. You know what? He almost hit the drone. Mm. <laughs> is that on doubt. film? <laughs> Um, it'll be somewhere, somewhere, but oh, I have to have a look. Mm. So yeah, that was that was our trip. Um, pretty fun day. Uh, would, yeah. I, would I would I do that again for three tuna and twenty three hours of twenty four uh, hours of no sleep? You wouldn't, probably not. No. Well, look, we, you know what? We had the time between Christmas and New Year, and look, I think fair to say, hopefully those tuna should be showing up out of our local waters. Um, very soon. Well, well Dave's going to do a whip around, and he's going to let us know what's happening. Well, yeah, that's. The, I think they are around uh, out of Western Port Joe. They've definitely been out of Port Phillip for some time, but um, yeah, some guys have certainly gone out of Western Port and found some schools of them in the last few days. And I believe there's been some reports from the eastern entrance right down to past Cape Shank. So it's just like it is every year—a matter of driving around until you find those rippling fish or. Hopefully, what happens is you get the mutton birds come in and then they're a really good indication of where the fish are because they, they feed and hang around the same bait schools as the tuna and usually when you find the mutton birds, you find the tuna underneath them. The, the muttons, are, are they in yet? They're, well, I haven't seen any. So, it'll be interesting to see when they rock up. We saw them in sort of late November, but we haven't seen them in the last couple of weeks. We did see them quite early and then mm. they just kind of disappeared. Like, it was a fake migration. Yeah. The real migration should be here. Maybe that was the lead muttons and then the rest of them stopped at like a drive-through Maccas on the way <laughs> yeah. down from Russia and yeah. they're, they're, they're on their way still. So well, see when they rock up because, they're, yeah, they're like I said, they're a good indication of where the um, the fish tend to hang out. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, the other thing locally is the kingfish. Um, down at Welshie. Yeah, well, well, that's not locally. Oh, that's, well, <laughs> same thing. Well, Launching from our home ramp, there's been some fish taken from Cape Shank, um, yep. not massive by all reports, but yeah, everywhere, everywhere else seems like it hasn't quite kicked into gear yet, but um, any day now we should see some solid kingfish captures coming out locally. Get a break in the weather, would be nice. Yeah, it looks like later this week there might be an opportunity to duck out. So, And yeah, as Adrian's just alluded to there, Port Welshville, the islands down there, they're um, firing pretty well with kingfish. Yep. Um, so we had Ace Jason the other week, and here he, he is here, um, and he tagged, I think it was a metre 
ish, was it? Was it one eleven? One eleven. So he tagged that with his mate um, Shelves. Very, living. Very fat. Yeah. So, yep, he's one of a, quite a few people who got into the fish down there, I believe. So, yep. Uh, uh, we had our mates Kev and Scott. Yep. I know they got at least one good fish, and I think Scott got another good one a couple of days before that on top water. So it's all starting to happen down that way. And no doubt we'll see more and more fish filtering to our zone as well, which is very exciting. Moving on from the kingfish, or are you getting up photos still, Adrian? Oh, I was trying to find something, but I can't. Uh, it's all right. We'll yeah. keep going. Oh, good. Yeah, moving on from the kingfish, we've got uh, the Bretons just run us through the the, the floody reports. So lake tires slow from what he was saying. Uh, <laughs> lake's entrance, better. Malacuda, greater. <laughs> Which is where we should we said he should have gone from the start, but anyway. Yeah. So yep, Malakuta good on the flatties. Um Bermagui, really good on the mile in the last couple of days. Yeah, I um, did see one boat had five shots and landed three. Yep. I suspect they've probably gone north of Bermagui. Yeah, there's kind of a weird yeah. wind current going on, like it's doing a circle around up north there. Eddying. Yep. Which is always good because it means that the uh, bait tends to hold up in that eddy and that's where you'll find your marlin. So just north of Burmy there off Batemans Bay and uh, north up to JB seems to be producing some fish. Um, that's going to keep getting better. Uh, Port Phillip Bay Snapper, week 236. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's still, still strong. good. Yep. If you like your snapper and you haven't had enough, three, if three to four months isn't enough for you, you can carry on catching them in Port Phillip. Yeah, exactly. Um, They're not as good size as they were earlier on, but... They're around that one to two kilo fish, basically. There is yeah. a lot of small ones, but there's yeah. also still some good ones mixed in there. Um, and Western Port, we've got uh, snapper fishing's tapered right, right off, but we've got uh, quite a few whiting uh, gummy sharks and some fair amount of bronze whalers in the system, actually. Well, one of my one of my mates, he got a decent sized hammer shark down that way. Did he? Yeah, Justin. Um, yeah, right. I can't get his picture up because was he in Western Port or Welshie? Nah. Western Port. Oh, I can't get his picture up because... Hammerhead. Yeah, yeah. I'll try. Yeah, I'll find it somewhere. Ah, it's all good. Um, it was actually really decent. Yeah, right. It's not It's not that often you get like a big hammer in uh, no. in Western Port. You seem to get a few juveniles, but not that many big ones, so that's pretty cool. I'll oh. just do it off my phone because it's really impressive. Like, I, I haven't seen a hammerhead that big caught in Western Port ever. I think our mate Stu got one about that size. Wow. Did he? Yeah. So that would be close to kind of 20 kilo, that fish. Yeah. Still not a massive one. No, no. The guys, guys I've only ever the, seen them like kind of a couple of kilos. So. The guys down on the 90 mile putting the baits out for bronzies and that have been catching quite a few big hammers. I saw that. Like real big ones. Yep. Like the ones that were those ones. So plenty of them around or a few of them around, I should say. Um, and... Yeah, other than that, for the uh, whip around, I've got uh, the Paddo River. We've hit that a few times lately, and that's been pretty good on the perch and breams. Yep, Jason's just unreal at that fishery. Yes, Jason's But he didn't us. get one the other night. No one did. No, I nearly did. I lost two. Yeah, yep. Had a couple of swipes. I was just doing the top order thing and had a couple of swipes. That's it. Yeah. But so. you actually hooked two fish. So, mm. so I was top watering too. Oh, yeah, you were too, yeah. yeah. So anyway, that's a that's a good little fun fishery. But yeah, so plenty happening. We're we're also, coming into that time where um, 
a few different areas are starting to fire up and there's options galore, which yeah. is very exciting. Also, so. good mate Phil from Team Born to Fish, he got his first king down at Portland, didn't he? Yes. Um, Phil went down there and got himself a king. Yep. So he broke the curse on his boat. So he, that boat is no longer fishless. So basically from the day we went down there onwards, there was really good kingfish captures because yep. the water sort of cleared up and the tides were a bit better. But yeah. anyway, we still did all right. So yeah. Yeah. So that's what I got for the whip around, boys. Anything you guys want to add or are you happy with that? Joey said he had something controversial to bring up before. No, we've already, we've already spoken about it. Oh, is that your lure thing? Yeah. Oh, <laughs> oh you were going to, when you were challenging our authority. Well. <laughs> Joey. No, nah, it's all good. It's all good in the hood, guys. That's as controversial as Joe gets. All right, question time. Do you want to whip through some questions, Adrian? Let's uh, have a look at some of the questions that were sent in this week, Adrian. There was uh, actually a really strong response on uh, Instagram, if you oh, want to. Oh, I remember this. This was Australia Day this or last year, sorry. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's just a clickbait photo, yeah. Joe. Okay, I understand. So we've got a few questions from people here, so I'm going to get Adrian to read through them this week because my throat's still recovering from being uh, sick this week. Okay, so Joey's good mate, Sub. McCluskey? Sub McCluskey. He's written in again and he's asking Dave. Love your work, Sub. Okay, so when Dave's whiting fishing, does he prefer fresh hippies <laughs> or mussels? Also, what's your opinions on snapper bag limits, especially in PPB? So basically, he prefers not to go whiting fishing, if that answers your question, Sub. Uh, Which I- is to my disappointment <laughs> because I've actually heard a lot of people say that Dave is an incredible whiting fisherman. Yeah, because it's not very hard. It's actually quite funny, that question, because, yeah, I don't really prefer whiting fishing, but uh, when I do, I usually just use squid stri- a combo of squid strips and like half a pippy or um, uh, pilchard fillet and, and squid strip fillet, and usually one of those things gets them going. It's not really that hard. Dave, what makes a good whiting fisherman? Uh, someone willing to, to move around a fair bit and... Um, well, basically, you, you, you burly quite hard, mm-hmm. move that's, around quite a lot. That's the number one key. So I and, think the last charter we did, we had the burly pot and me and Dave, we had about three people on the boat plus me and Dave, and me and Dave were just casting next to the burly pot and we were the only ones getting fish. Yes. So uh, you got to cast at your burly pot basically. Basically, the way you get good at it is you do it a lot, you work out areas where they're holding, yeah. and then when you're moving, what you're doing is actually – striking areas off the list as to where the mar- the whining are so you try some shallow spots and you try then you might move depth they might, might you might see they're in the deep water and a lot of that is current dependent you know if it's a slow tide they might be more of them in the deep water mm-hmm. so you change your depths you change your locations and uh, you fish according to the the tide and the weather sometimes those really shallow spots where you're fishing the uh the sand beds are too hard to fish because you've got a wind against tide scenario. Yeah. And you can't hold your boat on the right spot. So you end up having to go slightly deeper where you've got a bit of current to hold you in position or move around. So you've got, you're in the lee of the wind and then you sort of find them that way. So yeah, a, a fair bit of moving, um, moving, moving about, uh, burling and um, just gaining that knowledge from time on the water, I reckon. Oh, put me down on your next whiting charter, Dave. <laughs> All right. You'll be waiting a while. So, and the other part of that question in the Port Phillip Bay snapper, so obviously that's going to move ahead with the times, so just my opinion, um, and the bag limit will cull, I reckon, eventually. Well, 
I don't know. It seems like it's an incredibly um, successful fishery. So if if the current bag limits are working, then I don't see a reason to change them just for the sake of it. If the science says that it's that's a good bag limit, then I'm going to go with the science. Yeah, but I do think it's on everyone to to self police themselves. And and if you you honestly think that you need that whole bag limit of fish to take home and eat, then that's fine. But if you're happy to just take home one or two and and, and use all that meat, um, then maybe you only need to take home one or two, and you don't yeah. have to keep your whole bag just because you can. Well, I, th- I think um, the commercial netting has definitely improved the, uh, I guess, the, the fishery of snapper for recreational anglers because you do see quite a lot more snapper these days compared to those days where they were netting them all. And well, I think the, one of the main issues was the um, scallop, or yeah, scallop, 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 the dredging. scallop dredging, yep, um, which ripped up a lot of the Port Phillip seafloor and um, a lot of the spawning grounds for snapper. So gave us quite a few years of crap snapper fishing but they've come on pretty strong now and these um these uh, i think they worked out that this year and next year are supposed to be quite successful snapper years based off the recruitment that they measured years ago so they can sort of forecast when it's going to be a good season and when it's not yeah yeah don't they uh i don't understand like they they net the the pinkies down at Black Rock and all of those little inshore reefs and stuff, and they they monitor them every year, and they're able to actually forecast, um, yeah, prediction on the numbers. Yeah, spot on, basically. So, yeah. So hope that answers your question, sub. Um, next we, one, Adrian. We're going to go through all of them, are we? Well, There's quite a few. Um, so we got um, Luke. Yep. He's saying, "Do you believe that the Southern Australian?" JB to Portland fishery is well managed. What impact do you believe that fisheries have on its health? Keep up the great content, lad. So I think he's talking about tuna fishing, basically. Yeah. JB to Portland. Is that what he means? Yep. Um, I'm pretty confident that the science is solid behind our bag limits and stuff there. I think the unknown thing is that we get um, a lot of international fishing fleets sitting outside Australian waters hammering the bluefin stocks. So I don't think that can really be it can be um, measured properly. Mm. So there's a little bit of unknown there. Um, so I guess, yeah, using the information available, they set limits that they think are the best. So um, I'm sure they know a lot better than I do, and I feel like it's pretty good at the moment, but... Yeah, I'm not. I'm not a scientist. So you touched on it before. Like we've almost got a a year round uh, tuna fishery bar, bar a couple of months. Oh, it's insane! Yeah, the amount of the the biomass of fish out there is just crazy. Well, good good mate in Tassie, Yona Jick, he um he's caught uh bluefin every month of a year one year, didn't he? A couple of years ago. Yeah. So it just goes to show that they are there all year round. You yeah. just gotta oh, be like, fishing for them. So, like right now, we're getting fish, obviously, down at Portland, which is on the border of South Australia. Yep. And he's getting them down at Tassie, and then where there's fish, you know, down here locally. So, there's a massive spread of fish happening, and um, yeah, I think it shows that their numbers are are really good, and probably the bag limits that have been put in place are are working well. But um, yeah, like I said, not a scientist, so um, 
hopefully that it keeps our fishery in good shape. Yeah, um, I think it will. We're kind of just tr- we're trusting, and then once again, we're only taking what we actually need. We're not that yeah. not that fussed about the actual bag limits because we don't really keep our bag limit. Yeah, and the next question is: Watch a couple of old videos from you fish days, and could you ask Joey where his favourite place to sleep on a boat is? Does <laughs> that seem to be a common theme? Joey, do you sleep a lot? Look, um, if we're doing these, um, you know, one day. Fishing bonanzas. Yeah, I get tired pretty quickly. Okay. Favourite place to sleep on the boat? Oh, gosh. I remember um, a picture of me actually, Winger's old bar crusher. I think it was the yeah the six, the six metre open cab version. That had a pretty nice, uh, nice cushion up the front. Yep. Yeah, that was you good. You love that. Oh, that was good. <laughs> <laughs> All right, next question. Well, actually, I'll just quickly yeah. – um, Thanks for sending that one in, Sean. Um, I reckon Sean would be interesting to get on the podcast because I I do think he's a, a mutual friend of our mate Mark Schulte. Oh, and okay. uh, I remember some legendary stuff those two got up to. Where, um, correct me if I'm wrong, but Sean here, but I know that you're vision impaired, and Mark was Mark and yourself caught some massive tuna together, and um, it was just pretty incredible the story that he told of how. Um, both of you working together on on the boat to gaff and land these fish, um, a lot of it through verbal communication. So, oh wow! Um, and that's I know amazing. that was like a couple that were up around 150 kilos. So, wow, that's wow. incredible. Yeah, no, I, I reckon we should get him on and maybe get Mark on, and they can um, tell us the story because it's pretty legendary. Yep. Oh, well done, Sean. That sounds like a great story. Mm. So the next um, question we got there is from Australian Trailer Boat asking. The ultimate offshore trailer boat. Well, I think we've well, had this question. It's obvious, before. the 420 Renegade. <laughs> <laughs> I think we kind of covered that on one of the previous podcasts, didn't we? Yeah, I think yeah. so. I mean, so. yeah, there's heaps of awesome stuff. Um, to quickly rattle a few off would be the, the Freeman 47. That's American. Oh. The, <laughs> uh, the Cuda Craft, um, their bigger boats, the Veach, um, Astraders, Eden Craft. The old Bertrams are making a comeback too. Yep. People putting outboards on them and they're looking great. Noosa cats are super popular. Mm. So, yeah, check out one of our previous episodes there. I think we discussed that one in a bit more length. So, Okay, I'll try to scroll through stuff that we've already answered through. Yeah. And so I'll just answer stuff that we haven't had before. The tagging thing we just covered. Um, big run out of the boat. We've already done a rundown of Adrian's boat. Yeah. Don't worry about that. G-spot. G-Spot lures. Have you had a chance to play with your G-Spot yet? Uh, I think he's referring to the lures that he was nice enough to give us. Yep. Yes, we've bloody cast them quite a lot, um, and for some reason, we haven't managed, we haven't really caught many tuna um, over these summer periods on the biggest stick baits. It's always been the poppers that have been really good for us. So oh, he ga- he gave me a popper, so I'm going to try it this year. Yeah, so we've tried the stick baits quite a few times, but we've to be to be fair, we tend to go back to our old favourite. Poppers because it's so exciting watching them oh, yeah. eat them, and then we we know that we have success on them. So popper fishing is just such a visual way of fishing for um, these tuners, isn't it? Yeah, so they just like full on buff at it, swipe at it, and but it's I was amazing. I was chucking my G spot on the, that trip to Portland, <laughs> and it looks sensational swimming in the water. So I got no doubt that they'll be really good when um, we get the fish in the right feeding mode. Next one, Adrian. Okay, so we got um, uh, filming tips. Yeah, what. Tips do you have for those of us who are new to filming 
our fishing action on GoPros and drones, especially surrounding, eliminating wind noise and increasing voice volume and editing software. Well, I think the wind noise and stuff, we put wind slayers on our GoPros. That removes a bit of it. Um, yeah, with editing software, I just use the Apple standard one, was it? Final Cut Pro or something? I, iMovie? Yeah. No, no, Final Cut Pro. Final Cut, yeah. Yeah. We also use, use Premiere Pro. Yep. And yeah, you can increase the volume of voices on that. So yeah, but it's always better to start off with high quality stuff than then have crap quality stuff and try and fix it in post editing. So we found both Final Cut Pro and Premiere Pro to be kind of even, both good programs. So whichever one of them works better with your system, then go for it. And when flying the drone the other day, we made sure we had one GoPro filming on the boat so we could sync audio with the drones because obviously drones won't film audio because they're so loud and yeah. like a giant mm-hmm. hum. So, And uh, wind reducing, we use... Um, yeah, the wind slayers. Yeah, we win, use like a foam wind sock that you can buy just on eBay pretty easily over the top of our GoPros. Adrian will show you it oh, now. That's a wind slayer. Yeah, so it's just a foam sock that goes over the whole GoPro and it covers all the mics basically. So it's just a... Big cat fluff, basically. Yeah, so that's actually sensational at cutting out heaps of wind it, noise. What do you call a dead cat, Joey? Yeah, road dead cat. Yep. So, yep. so that's, yeah. that's horrible. Yep. So, yep. So, um, I think we answered that one all right. Uh, how much fuel did we burn at Port on the other day? Um, and how many kilometers? I think we burnt about 55 liters and we did 135 kilometers on the water. Yep. Which is pretty sensational. Yeah, in that, that in a 50. four point, you know what? I put that custom tank in there, so we I got Steve's custom welding to do a bit of aluminium work, and I said, mate, I want the biggest fuel tank that can fit in, and I think it ended up being about um, ninety seven liters. Sorry, we got a bit of interference with Dave's phone on the mic there. <laughs> that was a bit weird. Yeah, um, um, yeah, ninety seven liters. We got capacity in the fuel tank, but if I know I'm going to do a longer day. I'll take a 20 litre jerry with me as well. Well, we still had 40 litres left the other day and I was still scared. Sure. I was How like, much more longer can you go? Because <laughs> I was like, I just can't believe it's only used that much fuel. <laughs> yeah. I couldn't trust it. I still felt like in the back of my head that we could have run out of fuel even though we had like 40 litres left. Yeah. Um, most overrated boat and most overrated boat mods, Dave. Ooh. That's from um, Wilson's Graham. That's harsh on the boats. Um I'll go with a mod first. Yeah. Leaning posts on small boats. Light tackle leaning posts. You know those things yeah, that everyone yeah. started getting? Yeah. It's like a, um, what they are is basically like a half game chair that you lean on and then they've got rod holders and stuff on them. But I feel in, on a smaller boat, like six metre and under, it's just taking up so much real estate on the deck of the boat and it's just unnecessary. That's how <laughs> I feel anyway. It's just more crap in the way. So I feel they're overrated. Um. Boat, overrated boats. Nah, nah. Not, it's hard to hard to say because they're people's pride and joy, basically. So, and people are buying what they can afford and what suits them personally. Exactly. Um, and I think every boat, it's got its good and bad points about it, and price point. Oh, I'll, I'll yeah. speak briefly about. I had a Cuda Craft gunshot for a long time. Now they're pretty highly rated, wouldn't you say? People rave about them. Yeah, mm-hmm. they've got a really good name for them. Loved it. Awesome boat. Definitely what people say is true. But even something like that that is so highly rated, it's got its 
it's got its um, down downfalls. Like they're not very stable at all, and they do tend to be pretty wet when you're trolling into a sea. The nose tends to punch through the waves a little bit. It does. So you've always got to compromise with whatever boat you buy. The boat I've got now, it's more stable, but probably doesn't ride quite as well as the gunshot that we had before. Still pretty good though. Mm. What I believe is a really good compromise and that's what I'm happy with. But some people just want that out and out speed and, and ride and that's what they go for. Yep. So, you know, horses for courses. I don't think there's any really bad boats on the market. I just don't think they'd last very long. So whatever whatever boat you buy and uh, that's what suits you and that's good the, for you. The thing is you can buy any boat you want. And then you can set it up the way you want it. Yeah, so exactly. It doesn't matter what boat you got. You can set it up for different things. Yeah. And as, the way as long you as want the fish, core yeah. construction's reasonable. That's right. Yeah. That's right. So, which right. most of them are these days. Next question. I'm always scared to go offshore fishing as I think what happens if it does blow up out of nowhere. So, he's talking about his motor. No, he's not. He's talking no, about the, the wind. wind. <laughs> <laughs> oh, is it? Oh. <laughs> there you go. <laughs> Yeah. yeah, you don't so, want it to blow up offshore when. <laughs> no, he's well, talking about the wind, not his motor. Dave yeah. broke me there. Um, oh, oh, how I'd... do you guys go about it? I have a four point five meter streak streaker cuddy cab, so they're quite a light boat anyway. Yeah, no, I just five. yeah. You have to realize that I don't want to encourage anyone to go out when they shouldn't, but you have to realize that your boat is ninety percent of the time a lot more capable than you are. Yeah. You're going to fail before the boat is. They can actually withstand quite a lot of seas so unless it's some sort of freak storm that just comes out of nowhere and it's not forecast you should your boat should have that there should be enough margin for the boat to get you home if it does chop up if there's a bit of a front come through um obviously we look at the weather forecasting and we make sure it's reasonable weather before we go out you yeah, got so, you guys look at like three different weather channels before you make a call on is yeah. it going to be a suitable day for whichever yeah. boat you choose to take out yeah, so you look at the wind and then the swell and also the tide as well because they are the three factors that are going to create um, mishap, yes. I guess, offshore, especially offshore. And we also look where the wind's coming from and see what's happening where the wind is now because that can tell you what's going to happen offshore where you want to fish. All right, just very quickly, let's take case study last Thursday when we were out at Portland. Yep. So we've seen that the forecast on... Which channel were you looking at? Uh, Medi. Medi? Yeah. And what did Medi forecast? Like we were in a 4.4-metre <laughs> tinny. Uh, 8 to 10 knots. Yeah, yeah. It was basically that all day. So, Yep. But no. sometimes, yeah. It, it was 8 to 10 knots. You're the captain. You've gone, that's going to be safe Yeah. for us. Yeah. I've been out in a lot shitter weather than that. But, but like even worst case, if you are out in a small boat and some random front comes through that's not forecast. Yeah. It's it, it's still you're gonna have wind shot coming through. Yeah, but if it if the weather hasn't settled in and been crap for ages, it's gonna give you that. You're still gonna have time to get in before it really, like the sea really turns to crap. You know what I mean? Oh yeah, 100%. like so. I wouldn't stress about it too much. Um, obviously, just go on a decent forecast, and then um, you should be right pretty much most of the time. Yeah, yeah, that's great. I think also if you're not confident as well, um, go out with a couple of boats. Go out with another mate um, mm. for your first time. Uh, watch the weather forecast and, yeah. Pick, pick your launch location. Um, so that's a good thing about small boats sometimes. You can sneak into ramps that some of the bigger boats can't and ramps that are a lot closer to the ocean so you've got less travelling 
distance. Yeah, it's always good doing that. Yeah, mm. calculate your fuel as well. Like yep. figure out for your engine, um, you know, how much litres of fuel do you burn per kilometre. Yep. Um, you can use plenty of good uh, GPS apps to figure out, okay, what's going to be your run to which offshore location you want to go to. Yeah. Yeah. Is, so, that, is that all the questions? Yeah, that's all the questions we got on the Instagram post that you just put up. So oh, great. Oh, there was one on YouTube. Oh, was there? Um, so Simon Webster's asked, what is the most obscure bait or lure you've had to resort to during the red hop bite when your primo bait has been exhausted and you just have to keep things rolling? Right. Um, you think of an immediate example. Okay. I can think of a bait scenario. Uh, well, down at Welshie, Snapper were um, going off nuts and basically we had no bait left. We had scraps of sunburned uh, squid that had curled up and we were about to pack up. Dave's like, oh, I'm just going to chuck all of this bait on one hook. It just looked like a disaster. It was like a bird's <laughs> nest. and um, Chucked it down. There was no tide left and literally the rod buckled over. We caught, what was it, like, an 88-centimetre snapper or something. Yeah. It's pretty good. 89, mate. Yeah. Robbed me of a centimetre. There you go. And, yeah, we caught a good snapper on it, and that's the only scenario I can really think of when we've yeah. resorted um, to bad bait. Yeah, we're actually normally fairly prepared on the bait front. Um, the other day I had, had a hot snapper session and um, only had one fresh squid. Yeah. And I suppose we ran out of that pretty quick, and then I had... Just as a backup, I brought thrice frozen squid with me. Yeah. And that was pretty pink and yucky looking and they didn't have an issue eating it. They still smashed it. Yeah. So sometimes when you get them in that feeding mood, it doesn't matter about freshness. But then when you do have the fresh bait, you don't get the snapper sometimes. Yeah, awesome. It's very frustrating. Nothing, Joe? <laughs> um, okay, you don't have to have something. No, that's fine. Oh, look, oh, Look, I just put it out there. Um, I was fishing out at Flinders on the 27th and I was with my uncle. We were gummy shark fishing and he had some uh, bait that was thawed out that, yeah, the squid was looking a bit pink. It wasn't looking very nice. It was in sitting in brown mank water <laughs> and um, I managed to catch um, some yakas. He had the burly pot at the back and I said I could see some yakas on the, on the depth sounder at anchor. I've sabikied up a couple of yakas. Uh, instantly, I put a uh, yakka head out, a fresh yakka head, and um, it got a seven gill shark pretty quickly. Do you eat those seven gill jelly? Um, well, them? no, I don't eat them, <laughs> but it it just it, it cut us off at the boat and the sinker. Yeah. Uh, sinker stealers. That sounds like hell. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that wraps up the questions. Um, we're going to pick what, pick a winner and send oh, out yeah. some clothing. Um, what question comes to your mind that you enjoyed answering there, Joey? Can, you, can we chuck them up on the screen again so I can yeah. refresh my memory? I've got to yep. bring it back up. That was up. a lot of questions. Okay, Fine. so this is what we got. We had um, Subs. He asked about Dave's whiting. We had Luke who asked about um, the fishery impact on the tuna fishing from JB to Portland. We had Sean Foley ask about um, Joey's sleeping. Um, Oz Trailer Boat asked about the ultimate offshore trailer boat. Um, I think... The one about the weather offshore. Yeah. Okay, yeah, that one. was interesting. Yeah. yeah. Who, who said that? Yep. I don't know because you got oh, it jo- again. Yeah. No, it's Jordan. Yeah. Jordan asked about that. All right, Jordan. And he's streaker 458. Yeah, great question. All right. Well, thanks, Jordan. We'll uh, shoot you a message, get some sizing, and send out your clothing. Um, as you can see behind Joe there, 
Yeah. There's some uh, packages. It's a box. Show on the package, Joe. Oh. Yeah, they've got to get sent out to previous winners. We still haven't done it. a couple it there ready been to go. on holiday. Um, They'll be going out. So this is our uh, first episode of 2022. So I just want to thank all the guys that have liked, commented, and subscribed to our YouTube channel and keep the uh, comments coming in with questions. Thanks, guys. Yeah, awesome. All right. Well, I reckon that's a good way to kick off the year, Adrian. Good positive way to kick off the year. And yeah. uh, we'll see you again next week. And it's good to have you in again, Joey. Yeah, anytime, guys. Love your work. What's up, you bloody legends? Thanks for listening to Win Against Tide again. That's it for another episode. Please like and subscribe to our YouTube channel. You'd be doing us a massive favor. Thanks, guys.